I'm Lemuel Gonzalez, Repentant Sinner, and along with Amory Armstrong, your heavenly host, I invite you to find a place in the pew for today's painless Sunday school lesson without works. Welcome back to another loose episode of the show. This week, we're talking about something I only really know as a punchline. The rapture. I had a very odd experience recently. I needed to meet a friend in Berkeley and called a lift. As anyone who calls a lift knows, your phone will tell you when the lift is coming, the make and model of the car and the color, and the name of the driver. My driver's name was Jesus. This led to confusion because my phone read, Jesus is coming in two minutes. Look for him in a red Toyota Corolla. My first impulse was to shout, Hey everyone, Jesus is finally coming. You only have two minutes to get right with God. It didn't surprise me that Jesus was arriving in a compact, because it was a long trip. What surprised me is that I had only two minutes to get ready for it. Why did I have such a reaction? Because being brought up in an evangelical environment, the return of Christ is terrifying. This is the first conversation we'll have on a topic that we'll need to speak on from time to time. It's a very big topic. and requires a lot of conversation. It's important because the different beliefs about the rapture and the second coming affect the church in very important ways. When I say the word rapture, what do you think? What do you? What is it inspired? What image inspires is inspired in your head? Piles of clothing. <laughs> That's typically the image that the rapture uh, imparts. Is you walk into a room and there are just piles of clothes because in heaven everyone is nude. Well, where does that come from? I don't. I don't know. I think I legitimately don't know where that comes from. Now I saw the show The Leftovers, which mm-hmm. did deal with a rapture-like event. I didn't watch the whole series, y'all. I'm behind by two seasons, so please don't get mad that I don't know what happened. I think in that situation, it was corporeal bodies disappeared. Also, I am vaguely familiar with the Left Behind series. Once again, as a punchline, not as a series Uh of films and books that I have read. But it just feels like there might also be a song... I don't know. but that, So that's what I think of, just people disappearing, probably planes falling out of the sky, right. and clothes being left behind. Because once again, your body, I don't know why, it doesn't make sense that your body would disappear. You just die, I would think. Like, if you were if you were raptured to heaven, that's your soul, not your actual body, like everyone else who dies. I would think you'd leave a corpse behind, <laughs> but that is not the imagery. So, tell me... A little bit more about the rapture, please. The rapture and the second coming can be viewed as very different things. The basic concept is the same. As promised, Jesus will return to earth and sweep up all his loyal followers who rush up to meet him in the sky. Christ then will abandon the earth, and a period of evil and tribulation follows. Demons, monsters, and the Antichrist, and until God rectifies everything by purging and destroying the world. Okay, so... Jesus is supposed to show up. Uh-huh. Does he make that known? He does. Does and he get so, put into an asylum? Because I'm pretty no, sure no, he if he appeared show up here, he goes through the entire rigmarole again. No, I understand that. He like he's not born; he just appears. He and appears like, as I'm Jesus. Christ, and the faithful see him and are swept up from wherever their locations are to meet him in the sky. So it's the situation where wherever you are in the world, you'd look up and see Jesus if you, you would were a see believer. Jesus if you're a believer, and okay. then you're taken up. Now, the issue with this is that it's not really in the Bible. And then, yeah, the other half, and we'll, I think we'll get into this in a minute right. too, is then everyone else is just left for as long as God wants until God decides to zap us into well, no, there's a very, oblivion. The interpretation of the Bible or of the book of Revelations that that uh, we'll be discussing is very heavily involved in numerology. Oh, okay. So there are seven years of tribulation. Okay. Uh, during which the entire earth literally goes to hell. God turns his back on the human race. So, but why? Why is there any time at all then? Uh, because those people need to be punished for. But they're going to burn in hell forever. Yes. That's not enough? No. I don't like any of this. Well, <laughs> this feels petty and childish. It's not for you. <laughs> it's meant to justify all those people. Well, who but apparently it is for me because I am not going to see Christ and be raptured mm-hmm. uh, by, by these people's but, beliefs. No, it's not meant to be significant to you because it doesn't. You're because I, I don't count. <laughs> well, to them, you 
don't. I know, and I don't like it. I think no, this is which nonsense. Is the opposite, really, of Christ's message that everyone counts. Right. This is the message right. I would like to go ahead and be on board with. Right. So the problem is that nearly all of this is not actually in the Bible, and most of it's a modern construct. So I'm going to present it to you in a, an unusual way for mm-hmm. this podcast, yes. but a way that's very familiar with our other podcast, yes. The Latecomers, which is to get you to watch a movie. Yes. So the movie that we watched was a film from 1972 called A Thief in the Night. Sure, a film. Sure, that's uh, what it, it was. It is, for lack of a better word, an evangelical horror film. It was seen by millions of people since it was produced, and it lays out the pre-millennialist, dispensationalist view that's so popular in churches today. So, Amity, what did you think? I thought many things. All right. I thought I hated this movie, and I hate you for making me watch it. Now, why did you hate it? I'm um, curious. Well, okay. So this is an hour and seven minutes. Yes. At least eight minutes of that is the opening song, which is terrible and off-key. So... This was a very popular song when this film was produced. And so uh, it was written by and performed by Larry Norman, who was a very popular Christian singer at the time. I don't care. It was not good. This is a (laughs) terrible cover of it. The young women... On, on the song may have been trying very hard, but they were also failing equally as hard. It was not good. And it went on, and on. for so long. And they kept repeating the same line over and over again. And there was a very, very ham-handed metaphor uh, in the middle of it wherein a character is, is bit by a cobra... Mm-hmm even though they live somewhere in the United States where cobras are not a thing. Uh, And he gets healed with the blood of someone else that has the antibodies. And then that is a stand-in for Jesus, Jesus's blood being the salvation for his soul, just like this other person's blood was the salvation for his body. And, Within one three-minute conversation, he is converted. Yes. So he goes from, I don't know about all of this, to, yes, I believe, and then he's a Christian. Uh, Well, let me, actually, what I'm going to (laughs) do, and this is going to be kind of funny, is I'm going to reverse positions with you, and I will give the breakdown of the plot. Oh, okay. We do on another show. All right. It begins with a woman named Patty Meyer, and she wakes one morning. Oh, that's the blonde. Right. Okay. To find out that millions around the world have disappeared. And there's a couple of creepy scenes in the very beginning of this film. She wakes up out of bed. She goes to see where her husband is. And she finds his uh, razor. His razor just in the sink. In the sink. Buzzing. And then hears that there's been some sort of massive disappearance. The rapture is an actual theory floated on television. Right. But this leads to the creation of a one-world government. Yes. That's supposed to intervene and protect us from whatever strange phenomena is going on. And it goes from there to flashbacks. Now, mind you, the opening is very heavy-handed. It starts with... All of this film is heavy-handed. from Jesus that sounds as if it's been translated in such a way as to make it sound like he's speaking directly to you across the centuries in modern vernacular. There's a ticking clock in the background. Yes, tick, constantly. Tick, 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 right, to let you know how and, little time and you have left. And the song, we should say, is basically... We've been raptured. You've been left behind. That's too bad. I'm so sad that not everybody got to come with us, but you've been left behind. I wish we'd all been ready. You've been left behind. You have. You are a failure. Which I love that line, the demons dined. It makes it sound like you're going to watch a Hammer film at this point. Uh, It's wild. The sun has come and you've been left behind. And then, yeah, we, we flash back, I guess, to this... Woman, what's her name again? Her Patty? name is Patty, and she's just she's and not a bad person. She's not. She's a Christian, but you know, not a she's like a like a big Christian. An just like different Christian. She goes to church every week, right? Which is better than a lot of great people who call themselves Christians. She has one brunette friend who's not a Christian, and one blonde friend who's a whore. Right. Well, according <laughs> to the standards of this film, <laughs> she spends her time during because it opens in like a, a youth meeting in a church. And, uh, by the way, all church rec rooms look like that. I can tell you, every church rec room I've ever been in looks exactly like that room. Even now? um, When it's not the 70s? Yes, even now. Wow. Um, And, because they were built in the 70s, there is, uh, 
the one friend, the tall, blonde friend who spends her time winking at boys in church and things like that. Yes, and they're going to talk about how or she wants to tell it, tell all of her friends how to satisfy a man. Right, I, so, I don't know who these women are who have these conversations, right, but okay. But, so She's a walking cosmo. <laughs> Patty is drawn between her one friend who wants to go find boys and have a good time, and the other friend who's sincerely moved by the notion that she might be left behind. Yes. And so she she also seems very young. She seems right. to be coded as a child. Almost, yes. Uh she's wearing pig to- pale, pigtails or like two ponytails on the sides of her head. Mm-hmm. Uh, and anytime boys are mentioned, she like blanches. Oh, I don't like to hear that kind of talk. I think yeah. that was her thing. Which is fine, but like yeah, no, it was it was a little wild. So what happens in the film and there's a, at least a couple of scenes where there's an honest confrontation about things like uh, Patty's, I'm not sure what relationship she was, younger sister or friend or neighbor, who, hearing about the rapture, becomes so obsessed with it that she's terrified when she can't find her mom yes. in her house. This that is the little me, brunette girl. Right. This felt to me honest. Like, yeah, she's now scared. Yes, you've now freaked this young lady out. And she right. is, she converts. Mm-hmm. And then people are like, so are people giving you a hard time about being a Christian? Like, first of all, What? Right, so, <laughs> and then we keep following... And she's like, no, but I've yeah. only been a Christian for a day. <laughs> like, we followed Patty around <laughs> when she and her Cosmo friend wind up picking up a couple of guys at the fun fair or whatever. Yes. And they wind up in a serious relationship. One of them works with animals, I guess, and this is the reason why he's bitten by a cobra. Oh, okay. And Except he's like working on a thing in a garage. Right, and a cobra bites him. This is a very low-budget film. Uh, so that might have been, you know, the animal center. It says a garage. So And that's her boyfriend. Or, that's her boyfriend. Yeah. And then after uh, there's a life-saving emergency where somebody's flown in an airplane and there's, you know, that's, that's one of the big suspense scenes of this film. It's very dull. Uh, comes along and they're able to give him a blood transfusion because this man's been bitten by a cobra so many times that his blood is a natural antidote. Right. And so when that happens, he starts having talks with a local minister who comes to visit him because Patty and this young man get married. Right. Now, there are two ministers in this movie. Right, there's two. There's this minister that converts her husband. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then their other laissez-faire minister who's like, it's fine. Be good. It's Here's fine. what was troubling about that minister's sermon, because he's supposed to be a representative of the modern Christianity that believes a lot of this is symbolic and that you... Essentially, you're not asked to believe in an actual rapture. You're right. not asked to believe... And what disturbed me about watching this movie now as an adult, as opposed to when I saw it as a kid, was that he made a lot of sense this time. Yeah. Because he's arguing about, don't ask me to take a literal Adam and Eve. If you want to believe in that, yes. Yeah. If it makes you a better person, yes. But don't ask me to, and I have to accept that in order to believe in God. Right. And that seemed to me to be a really reasonable thing to say. Right, except then now you're going to go to hell. Right, because he's now set up as the villain of the film. Because you Mm -hmm. are a reasonable person who uses reason and right. this movie wants none of that and and so it I, wants blind faith right in well, yes, stuff yes. that clearly is not factually it's not accurate. in the scripture which is <laughs> also what, stuff that's not in the scripture so which, why would, do you get to decide if I the get bible rapture? explicitly told me that jesus is going to come and suck people up like, uh, a, like a vacuum, vacuum cleaner and of take souls. them to outer space. <laughs> if Jesus said that in the Bible, I'd be willing to go, I wonder how that's going to happen. I would right. be willing to as a person of faith. However, it doesn't say doesn't that. It doesn't say that. And so that's what makes this all so It's what, quote, some people right. surmise or something so, like that, which that's not how you should build your film, faith. Uh, Patty uh, does not accept Jesus the same way that her husband does. And then, of course, she has that instance, which goes back to the beginning of the film. Which is where she wakes up and discovers that he's disappeared along with her neighbor and other She people. wakes up three times in this movie. Yes. <laughs> so she wakes up at the very beginning. She wakes up in the sort of the 20 of minutes right. in, and then the rapture well, has happened. Well, 20 minutes is effectively almost the middle of the film. Right. So the rapture has happened. Her husband is gone. It's right. the same scene as the beginning, only now we're going to go forward. Right, forward. We're going to move forward. She winds up. It's, there's a new world government. There's it's, a new world government. It's we, heading towards the Antichrist. This is in a time that was mm-hmm. the 1970s where newspapers still referred to, quote, unquote, the Soviets. Right. So 
There's no way that mm-hmm. the United States government and the quote-unquote Soviets, the USSR, and China are all in the 1970s going to be one big universe. Like, no, that's right. not going so to happen. What they They're just going to bomb each other to death, and then we're doomed that way. They create the Mark of the Beast, yes. which is computer language, I suppose, for the number 666. It's and binary for 666. You receive it on your forehead or on your hand. You like have to do binary. that. Uh-huh. Or else they you... say you, you don't have to, uh-huh. but it's to show you're a quote-unquote good citizen. It's fascism is what's right. happening. Hmm, interesting. Worldwide fascism. <laughs> and she opts out, but then as soon as they get enough people, they're like, well, if you're not willing to do this, it means you've probably got something to hide, so we're going to go ahead and arrest everybody that doesn't well, have it done. And this becomes, at this point, is where it turns into a horror film. Up until now, it's been a very kind of soapbox drama about Here's, the dangers of being unsaved. This is the moment, I'll tell you the exact right. moment it becomes a horror film, when that old man is like, Stamp me on my forehead. I've got nothing to hide. I don't. Or I, I'm. I'm proud to be a good citizen. That's the moment. I'm like, see, tattoo your forehead. An old white man with a smile on his face saying, "Tattoo my forehead to, so that I can prove I'm a good citizen." Is the epitome of a horror film for me. Well, also, there are no people of color in this movie, which you decided meant well, that they were all Jesus raptured. Jesus raptured them all. <laughs> Jesus raptured all Asian, Hispanic, and black people and all races in between because this is only about Caucasian people who... I'm actually on board for that reading. But <laughs> where it turned into a horror film for me or just a very much a 70s indie horror film, which I've seen a lot of, mm-hmm. I'm very fond of them, is when both the minister and Patty, the, the liberal minister, who now is yeah. repenting uh, yeah, the he... way that he's led people astray goes to get the sign of the beast, or goes to... I'm not sure exactly... They get taken to, like, a hospital to, like, be forced, And then she's told that your minister friend has already accepted the sign of the beast, or this mark. And and they were like, it's not the sign of the beast. It's not. She discovers "Uh, No, it totally is. He's been murdered, and there's, like, there's a bloody corpse. Yes. And then, from then on, it's... And then she's on the run. It's on the run, and it's really not done in a... It's not a well-made film no. in this respect, because it goes on for her... The, the remainder of the film is her running to various locations, running to contact her friend, the Cosmo girl that you talked about, yeah. who then turns out to be, turn on her, because they have the mark of the beast, and eventually she winds up either jumping or being pushed, it's not clear to me, off the end of a dam. Yes. Into the roiling water. Yeah. And then she wakes up to discover she's in the same nightmare dream that she had before, because she thought, oh, wow, now I have time to accept Jesus as my personal Savior. Only when she wakes up, she discovers It's that. the morning that she woke up two other times. Right. And so it winds up with her screaming, which... And she is, just doesn't stop screaming. Well, yeah. this is the same ending of films like Witchfinder General. Somebody obviously sat around watching a lot of horror movies and went, okay, let's scare the living hell out of people. I don't, it just it's feels... It's a weird way to deliver the message of love, frankly. There's no message of love in this movie. Well, what I'm saying is that <laughs> if you're trying to deliver the message of Jesus, this is not the way to do it. No, because there's no love in this movie. Right. And there's no way for her to grow. So the, the, the way to deliver the message would be if she could wake up at the end mm-hmm. and was able to accept Jesus and then save herself from whatever rapture was coming. But no. No, she's, she's not just, given any chance to nope. at any point change her <clears throat> Because she made her choice. Well this is emphasized in the song. There's no time to change your mind. I understand That's that. A, 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 but Except everybody else did kind of have time up until had that time moment. Up until that moment, but once that moment happens you no longer have any opportunities, which is but is she, is she going to have to relive this over and over again? Like, I have what is no the... idea what the... I think that was almost a straight horror film trope. It doesn't make any sense it even inside sense. the message that they're trying no. to give. It was just a gotcha moment that was meant to terrify the people in the audience. And in this case, these were people who went to church to see this film. It, I guess. It the didn't old, play what theatrically. It... it was brought to churches on an old 16mm projector. Well, I mean, it's not a whole movie yeah. length. It's only, like I said, like an hour and seven minutes long. It so was it's... that long so you could have a come-to-Jesus sermon afterward. <sighs> It was designed specifically but that way. Did it? Did anybody get turned off and pushed out by it? Because that was my. I, I was am like, sure. Well, here's a funny one. Marilyn Manson did. Oh, okay. And there, I'm sure he's not the. I mean, not that I ever endorsed Marilyn Manson necessarily, because I'm not sure what he's about. But 
um, he mentioned this film specifically. Interesting. As something that terrified him about the whole Christian message. Yes. And I think it that it'll have that effect on people. It feels to me like a warning against Christianity, not a mm-hmm. warning, or not a, it's not pro-Christianity to uh-huh. me. It doesn't read that way. Now, this And maybe because I am of an age right. and an education level and a worldview where if you're going to threaten me like this, my automatic response is to, to walk away from that. Like, no, that's not. I wouldn't include education level because there are very educated people who believe this as well. But I mean. No, you're recognizing what is a threat to you. Th- but I and think you're being people... back into a corner to where you can't make a decision about what you want to do with your right, own Right, and I also think that people of the same education mm-hmm. level as me who believe stuff like this, a lot of them came to that belief bef- when they were children. They were raised with that belief. Mm-hmm. I don't think anybody comes from an atheist childhood or an agnostic childhood, goes through an entire college court level, and in their 30s goes... Oh, the rapture is definitely a thing that could happen, and mm-hmm. I better get on board. I just I don't see that as a path for people. Yeah. I might be wrong. If I'm wrong, then by all means, I'm sorry. Right. But it, to me, this just feels like you. Nothing that you do, like because basically you're you're holding you're you're trying to twist my arm behind my back so that I. Accept Jesus as my Lord and Savior. Mm-hmm. Well, if I, if that's the reason that I accept Jesus as my Lord and Savior, that's not real. It's so, not and based he's going to know that of Jesus, right? Which is where I have the issue with it because I understand that there are going to be people who believe different things about Jesus than I do, right? Whether or not it fits in the plan of Jesus and the Jesus in the New Testament to actually turn his back on the human race and let them all die horribly. I feel like if that was what that he was going to do, he would have done that before he got horribly right. mutilated and murdered the, the first Jesus, time around. And I constantly emphasize that the Jesus in the Gospels who went through that much trouble is not is not inclined to turn his back on anybody. No, because if he was going mm-hmm. to, he would have. He would have, and, and he so didn't. If he wanted to judge the world, he would have done it before, not wait all this time. But also, the, the other thing it. is, honestly, if mm-hmm. if you're trying to scare me into accepting right. Jesus, doesn't Jesus know that my acceptance is not real? Yeah. And then aren't I going to not get raptured anyway? Exactly. So are because you condemning the, the, people the who are doing this out of in fear? This film was a churchgoer who believed in Jesus and did all those things, mm-hmm. but very much like the Jack Chick comic, or the uh, books that we read. She didn't say the exact right mm-hmm. thing in the exact right way for this one minister, and so then she is doomed forever. She is, yeah. That's now, heinous. <laughs> this film was really popular in church groups. Mind you, these were people who were so conservative they were never allowed to go to a movie theater. So this was entertainment for them as well. It was I'm sorry, everyone. Hey, maybe it, we should make Christian movies, like good movies that have Christian values. Yes, they did. Dead Man Walking is a good example. Dead Man Walking yeah, is a liberal I guess film, so. but it's a, it is a really a film about the presence of Christ in a person's life. Because I just feel like life. every time I see a movie with, right. that totes quote-unquote Christian values, it was made for $20,000 and it has Kevin Sorbo in it. Right, but think about the stories about Christianity that are a huge part of our culture. Right. Well, think about Crime and Punishment, Dostoevsky's novel, which is about a man who does something really horrible and lives his life trying to learn how to repent. Right. Think about uh, Les Miserables. Yeah. Which is my favorite book, which is about a man trying very hard to to make up or make restitution for all the things he's done. Think about The Christmas Carol. Yeah. Which actually gives the person the opportunity yeah, to go, get, I repent for what I've done yeah. and I have to make up for it. Those are stories that are part of the Western canon that are very much steeped in Christian values. Yeah, okay. Well, our generation has produced God's Not Dead, but other generations <sighs> of people who are religious authors... And the Left authors, Behind series. Right, have produced masterpieces. You know, Paradise Lost will always Maybe be Maybe because we're Lost. being too literal. Maybe that's our problem. Uh, yeah. So let's... Let's talk a little bit about some 
explanatory commas. So you you uttered a phrase a while back. Premillennialist. Premillennialist. Dispensationalist. So premillennialist feels to me like it has something to do with before mm-hmm. a certain time period, but I don't know what now, time period. This comes from the final book of the Bible, the book of Revelation. All right? And this is basically how people interpreted that book. They believe that there's a millennia... All right, here we go. The timeline is this. There's a rapture. Jesus takes all of his loyal followers. There is a period of tribulation. Then God comes and judges the earth. And then there is a generation of people who, after the earth has been purged, are raised on the earth and live for a thousand years without the danger of sin or the devil or any of this. Okay, so premillennialism means the rapture supposes that we are pre that. Right, but but it's what it's saying is that Jesus raptures his people before the tribulation. There are people who believe that Jesus raptures them in the middle of the tribulation. There are other people who believe the millennium started when Jesus started the church. So this is a specific term for a specific set of beliefs about this timeline. Now, mind you, once again... So which thousand years does premillennialism... In this context, it's a thousand years after the tribulation when Jesus locks up Satan, literally locks him up with a big key. Okay, so we are pre-that currently. We are pre-rapture currently. Right, which is also pre-all of this. Right. Okay. So the second coming in this case is not when Jesus appears in the sky and takes everybody. No, that would be the rapture. Okay. Um, There is some sets of belief that believe that Jesus appears after the tribulation and that people are given a second chance to repent before he begins the millennium. So these are all constructs that got made, and they're mostly, strangely enough, an American construct. Okay, and they're pulling from actual Bible verses, but they're just... In context. So the second coming is something that Jesus describes in the scriptures, but it was supposed to happen or the coming of the kingdom of God within the lifetime of the listeners. So, because I would think the second coming would be when he physically got up three days after he died. That's technically a second coming, isn't it? He preached during his lifetime about (laughs) the coming of a kingdom. Now, when he talked about it, he talked about it as something that was going to happen while the people here were alive. He talked about the fall of Jerusalem, which happened in the lifetime of the people who were listening to him. And so a lot of people... And I lean that way, believe that when he's describing the kingdom of God or the coming of the kingdom of God, he's describing the start of the church. Because it is a remarkable thing that 12 people and some others basically took over the entire world. The world, right. 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 So that's what he's discussing. People during Jesus' lifetime didn't really understand what he meant. I included a no, scripture. Yeah, he uses a lot of it's, uh, metaphor. From Matthew, um, the disciples forgot to take bread. Watch out, Jesus told them, beware the, Pharisee, the yeast of the Pharisees and Sadducees. And the disciples discussed them among themselves and concluded, it's because we didn't bring any bread. So they were constantly, and that's a very comic kind of thing, but they're oh, constantly... Oh, so he's messing with them Right, he, they're misinterpreting a lot of things that he says, and often he just stops and has to start explaining to them what he means by what he says. So there's a lot of interpretations as to what this, this second coming or the coming of the kingdom of God, what these things mean. Um, some people say it did happen in the time of Jesus, coming in power of glory was something that happened when he was crucified, and he reconciled God and man together. Most of that's a minority idea, and most of the church, high and low, believe that there's a second advent, a future event, where Jesus comes back to earth to judge the world. Well, I think that that's a very convenient thing to, especially in a proselytizing religion. Mm-hmm. Like, Like, it's not done yet, Right? right, like, like you have to get people on on board who aren't on board. To it's it's, I think it's a it's a nice selling feature to be like, get in while the getting's good because so, it's not done yet. One of my um, the books I read that I was very fond of is a book by H. G. Wells called The Island of Doctor Moreau. Oh, he considered it. His youthful blasphemy. He even said that later on. He was embarrassed that he wrote. Well, embarrassed. I mean, it's a blasphemous book for sure. That man thinks he is God. (laughs) Well, the portrayal of Doctor Moreau in the book is that he has long white hair and a long white beard. Oh, is that where we get that stupid idea? (laughs) He creates 
these, or for those who aren't familiar with it, there's a shipwreck survivor who washes up on an island where there's a man who has been kicked out of England for being a vivisectionist. And a vivisectionist was actually surgically altering animals. In this case, he's altering animals not for experimentation because he wants to make them human beings. And so he lives on an island where he's surrounded himself with these experiments towards humanity. Right. He's constantly giving them laws to repeat. He gives them, he has a sayer of the law. Where Orwell got it? I'm not sure. Okay. He is a sayer of the law who makes them repeat commandments, not to walk on all floor, fours, or right. we not men, not to drink blood. Four legs bad, men, two right. legs bad. It's very similar to that. <laughs> and so, uh, and then they go off in this litany about his is the hand that makes, his is the hand that breaks, his is the house of pain, which is the surgery where he performs oh, his Lord. experiments on animals. At the end of the book, Moreau breaks his own rules, and he's killed. And the shipwreck, shipwreck survivor who wants to leave the island has to convince the animals that he's not dead. So he tells them, wait, you can't see him right now. He's left off his body, but he's in the sky watching you. And so if you kill me, he's going to come down with fury and judge you all. And they're so terrified of him that they believe this guy and he has enough time to make a boat to get so away. So that's his blasphemy. He is right. likening... Right, so... And it's Christianity or right. this belief in Christianity to what he now he tells he, these animals. His, uh, Wells died sadly, a kind of a disappointed man with the human race. So he was less inclined to mock religion later on. I think that's why he had some mixed feelings about his own novel later on, or at least as I've read. But it's pretty much what you're describing: behave yourself because he's watching right. somewhere. Right. And he's going to come back. But also, like if you get in now. Mm -hmm then not only will you have... I mean, I don't know. Cause how does it work? Uh, this is uh, this is why I get very confused. Like, mm -hmm. So if I'm a Christian and, and a quote-unquote good Christian under whatever rules mm -hmm. you have to be a quote-unquote good Christian by, which who knows what those even are, and I die right now, mm -hmm. what happens to me? Um, My body... Goes and, into the ground or whatever. Right, and your soul and my is in soul the presence of God immediately. Goes to heaven. Mm -hmm. Sweet. What happens after, if there is a second coming and the, this whole millennial or millennium, well, do I get a body back? You don't have a body as such. You exist, and the, the idea is. So, my, my, uh -huh. my, if I die today, right. and the rapture is next week, my afterlife is not any different. No. Than if the rapture was. No, again, ago. I want to emphasize these are constructs. I understand that. Okay, and I want well, to make that I'm... sure because I don't want anyone to go home thinking, <laughs> "Oh my God," because this is this is what I grew up with. There was a very strict timeline. There's seven years of this. There's a thousand years of this. Wait, right, but or Grandma uh -huh. died and she goes to heaven and none of this matters to her. Right, it doesn't. So it only matters to people who are physically living when this yes, thing exactly. happens. Which could happen at any time. At it's any like time. really shitty like Literally, bingo. like a thief in the night. I hate this. Well, <laughs> <laughs> because right, so. it, Mostly because it doesn't make any sense and it doesn't come from anywhere and it really mm -hmm. feels like you're trying to hold my faith hostage. So this is to explain further. The second coming is a big part of evangelical thought and teaching. It's mostly based on interpretations of the very complicated book of Revelations. Right which was not readily accepted into the canon at first. Oh, really? It was yes, almost Gnostic? There, there, was, there was controversy about accepting it at all, because it was written... Because it's wild and not literal. No, <laughs> it was written to a specific audience during a specific persecution from the Roman Empire. Now, there's coded language in it that made sense to the people then. Right. That makes utterly no sense now, but... Right. People since that event have tried very hard, and we've talked about this before, they'll adapt almost a fantasy mindset to kind of create a construct in which they're participating in Bible events. Right. Because so, they don't want to believe that it doesn't, doesn't well, it's much speak easier, to them. Right. It's much easier to accept that this is part of a dramatic age that you're living in now than to understand no, the real drama of being a Christian is getting your life right every single day and then waking up tomorrow and doing the exact same thing, trying to make yourself a better person or working together to make it a better person. Right. If you really believe there's some sort of dramatic incident that's going to happen to you in the future and you have to be prepared for it, it adds this kind of 
I don't know, this weird flavor to it that people seem to like. Uh, yeah. It appeals to people who like conspiracy theories. Yeah. It appeals to people who who want a set universe. The The real message of Christianity in that you are setting off into the bold unknown with only your morality and your faith to guide you is much scarier than the notion that there's going to be seven years of this and instantaneous happening of that and then a second coming and all sorts of other things and apocalypses and monsters and demons that are going to get the people who basically deserve to die, is what it's saying. <laughs> but the book of Revelation in itself was not saying that. Right. Well, and I also can't... He, he, I cannot reconcile mm-hmm. a good Christian with somebody who believes a bunch of well-meaning people deserve to die and be tortured. Right. Like, I cannot reconcile those two in- entities as the same entity. So, it doesn't seem to make any sense. But, well, and it doesn't because that's not what it was talking about. Again, the church was under persecution at the time. Right. All right? This book was written, and it's... It's building. And when was it written? It was written in the first century. Okay. We're thinking there's not a clear date as to which Roman emperor. It wasn't Nero. It might have been afterwards. Okay. Although Nero is referred to in the book. Right. Because using well, it, he had left a big shadow. Right. So. He did. He started a horrible persecution of Christians. It was a terrible, terrible, terrible thing. The book is. It's a book of prophecy, and I'm not sure how that interprets to you because prophecy is such a no, no. no. A book of prophecy is fine, Mm -hmm. but would you have what everyone should understand about a book of prophecy is? I'm going to need you to take that with a salt lick. Well, okay, not even just a grain of salt. It is written in coded language, specific to that time, specific to the culture. It is done to give people hope. It's building on the imagery from the book of Daniel. The book of Daniel ends with prophecies about the end of the Babylonian Empire. Okay. And the rise of the, eventually, if, if you're reading it that way, the rise of the empires that came afterwards, Greece and Rome, which was looking forward. The book of Revelation is supposed to be about the end of the Roman Empire. And the same way that the Babylonian Empire had persecuted the Jews, the Roman Empire was persecuting the Christians. Right, okay. Although to a much, yeah, yeah. Um, so it was about the end of Rome because all the symbology is about the great whore who sits on seven hills. Right, about the beast with seven heads and seven horns. That's Rome. This is about Rome, the seven hills of Rome. When a believer takes the Bible entirely literal, as opposed to a series of books with symbolic and poetic passages, the book of Revelation becomes a problem. Is Jesus coming back or not? Of course. If you take the book of Revelation literally, you expect something like a Harryhausen movie. I'm going to read you a passage from the book of Revelation, okay, very quickly. And I want you to tell me, if you're expecting to take it literally, what does this sound like? Okay. Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, holding in his hand the key to the bottomless pit and the great chain. He seized the dragon, the ancient serpent, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years and threw him into a pit and sealed it over him. There he could receive, or there he, so that he could deceive nations no more until a thousand years were ended. That's the millennium. Right. After that, he must be let out for a while. Then I saw the thrones and seated on them, and those seated on them were given the authority to judge. I also saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for their testimony in Jesus and for the word of God. They had not worshipped the image of the beast and not received its mark on their foreheads or on their hands. They came to life and reigned with Christ a thousand years. The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were ended. And this is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy are those who share in the first resurrection. And it goes on describing things in these terms. Again, it's impossible to understand what it meant to people. It, yeah, that but means this is, nothing. I can't. That's nothing. It means nothing to us <sighs> now because it wasn't for us. It was written for an audience who, like, understood this. For instance, receiving the mark on your hand and your forehead was echoing an older Jewish ritual where you had the holy name or an equivalent written on your hand and forehead. Okay. As the same way that people have ashes put on their forehead this for is, Ash Wednesday. The, 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 the only marks mm-hmm. I see on foreheads now are Catholic. Right. So so the thing is, it was referencing the same way that the book of Revelations references Daniel and its fall of empires. Mm-hmm. The book of Revelations was doing the same thing. And the only reason why it really got accepted into the biblical canon is because there's really beautiful imagery about Jesus. You know, there's a point in the story where John is taken, for those of you who don't know the book, John is taken into heaven, and he sees this vision of heaven and all these strange creatures and strange uh, visions of, like, angels and saints, and 
And uh, constantly throughout the book, they're going, who's going to redeem fallen humanity from all these plagues that are coming? And they say, the, the, the Lion of Judah, which is how it's referred to. So he's expecting a military leader. And he turns around, and it's Jesus in blood-soaked uh, clothes, the blood that he shed for the saints. Right. And so it's constantly going from the image of you're expecting a mighty warrior, and you keep getting this person who is using love to redeem the world. That's the clearest message we can get from the book of Revelation. Right. Now, what these other things were supposed to mean and who it they were referring to. It also feels like he already did that. Right. And it was supposed and to. he then uh-huh. came again by resurrecting. Right. Exactly. So and this all feels like it, it's, it's done now. that happened. At the time, and this was a turning point in Christian culture, um, the, the acceptance of this belief came mostly from groups of people that started, again, in America during the French Revolution. The term premillennialist did not come into use until the 19th century when Protestants in Britain and America began to believe that the American and French revolutions were part of end-time prophecies and they fit in somehow. There was many American groups that taught that Christ would come and set up a kingdom on earth like in the symbolic biblical passages. Okay. These interpretations completely ignore Jesus' telling people that you will see the kingdom of heaven come in your lifetime. There is no reason to cast a prophecy that that was that explicit to people who had never lived to see it. It doesn't right. make any sense. No. This is going to happen, but it's going to happen so far in the future that you and your children and your grandchildren and all of their grandchildren will never live to see it. Now, where does the part where Jesus doesn't know when he's coming back? This is something that... um, Only God knows. Right, only God knows. This is something that Jesus said. We don't know when it's going to happen, but God will come and he will do this and he will judge the world. This is not talking about what happened... um, specifically with his death and resurrection. I don't know. It seems like it could be. But he's saying that God was the ultimate judge. He was deferring to his father because as he as Jesus being fully human was not He didn't um, get to make he didn't get to call the shots. Right. Now the people who developed the ideas about premillennialism were obsessed with the idea of becoming part of Bible history. They didn't want it to be part of what happened to people centuries ago, but something that they played a part in. And there's a strange thread of nationalism running through evangelical, the evangelical interpretation. Yeah. It really does put America at the center of Bible prophecy. I've heard ministers, when I was growing up, refer to America as almost synonymous with the church or synonymous with Jerusalem from, or the kingdom of Israel from the Old Testament. So they're making this interpretation that puts them at the center of it. Now, do you think that that is to offset or to take, I, to, I, don't, I don't know how to say this, to take nationalists away from religions like Mormonism, where America is the sort of center of the religion? I, so if, if you are a nationalist first and a Christian second, this keeps you with Christianity instead of pushing you over towards Mormonism. I'm not even sure. I, that's a right. that's a, that's an odd There's thing, a, but the, well, there were Christian groups. Jehovah's Witness. Cr- or, Christianity is a mm-hmm. Middle East religion. It was founded and right. started by Middle Eastern people. Which There's is, no reason that America mm-hmm. should have any play but in this it. This was part of when we're talking about this. Particularly this period of time when you saw this, when this film was made. So when was this, 1972? Uh-huh. Okay. There was a lot of, there was a craze for biblical prophecy and the end times and the belief that after the 60s, the culture was changing and shifting to become uh, really unstable and this would usher in this horrible age. And this is where several of our presidents came from, actually. Right. And this Reagan is, and the Bushes both subscribed to end times. It went into popular culture in a very strange way. There was a book published by Hal Lindsey called The Late Great Planet Earth, in which he interpreted everything from the European Union to... Um, and the European Union was part of biblical prophecy about the end times nation of Israel, or Israel becoming a nation was part of the prophecy of end times. Right. He reinterpreted a lot of the Bible in terms of... Current geopolitical things. Exactly. 
And so... Which you could probably uh, look at every 50-year period. History is cyclical. From Jesus' yes. death mm-hmm. to now and do the exact same thing. Right. And if y'all don't think well, that anyway. I lo- watch the news mm. and see our current president and think, oh, no, he's the Antichrist and this is the end times, you're wrong because I do think that. I do think it. And I don't believe in the Antichrist or the end times. And yet, <laughs> it really <laughs> seems like this might be it. It's a compelling argument. <laughs> um, so that was very popular at the time. The, um, there was a resurgence of a very secular recognition of Christianity like a film like The Exorcist, for instance. Okay, yes. Or, more importantly, in context of this conversation, The Omen. Yeah. Which was about the birth of the Antichrist. Yes. And sort of as an inverted Christ figure who does horrible things to people during his childhood and then grows up to reach this position of power. Uh, the There were three, I think, additional sequels to A Thief in the Night. Uh, one of which you do appreciate because... What's her name? Patty? Yeah. Uh, in one of the films... Patty is under danger of the guillotine because she's now living without... Without the... Yeah, she's going to make it through mm-hmm. her seven years without getting right. the mark of the beast and then she'll be okay. So my understanding... Apparently, is, according is that, to what you read. According... <laughs> is that she, the pressure becomes too much. She's strapped to a guillotine, the blade's above her head, and she's given a last chance to reject Jesus and to receive the mark of the beast. I kid you not. She, at the last moment, panics and decides to accept the mark of the beast. And just then there's an earthquake and the guillotine falls and cuts her head off anyway. So this woman is just doomed no See, matter what. that was my other... Okay. It, well, it's really bizarre. Let me, I don't understand what they were thinking. Let me go back, because there were two words in that term. Mm-hmm. Premillennialist, dispensationalist. What, mm-hmm. is a di- what is dispensationalist? Okay, so dispens- Which is that there's a progressive revelation of God's truth. Now, if you're taking it very literally, if you're looking at the Bible in a sort of redactive criticism, you're saying, well, Adam and Eve is a story that's adapted from earlier stories by Sumerians and Akkadians, Mm -hmm. and it has elements of those, but it's completely repurposed to tell a story about a more loving God who loves the human race. Adam and Eve is a story about a loving God? Yes, who, instead of punishing and destroying his children, allows them to live, but he... He punishes them. He punishes them, but not the way (laughs) you read... Of the epic of Gilgamesh, the gods there do horrible things to the human race. All right. So compared to that, yes, this is a very different. Okay, kind of but god. then so later, no. So idea. whatever. Right. Go ahead. So what happens is that dispensationalism believes that there's a progressive revelation that the reason why God is so harsh on people in the beginning is that He's moving, kind of a, uh, moving the goalposts back, but not in a bad way. He's actually allowing you to learn more and more as the human race develops and matures and then eventually prepares them for salvation through Christ. So they believe that there is, obviously, like all Christians will believe there was the age of the Old Testament, the age of the New. That's an example of okay. dis- different dispensations. Um, a dispensationalist, though, typically will have the dispensation of innocence, which is Adam and Eve, the dispensation of conscience, which existed from Adam and Eve to the Great Flood because there wasn't a law. Okay. The dispensation of human government. And like in each one uh, there's like a like a gatekeeper almost. Right. Like so there's Adam and Eve and then what was there's, then the, like Noah. Right. And then the dispensation then of the later promise. Moses is probably right. one of the Yeah, the dispensation of the promise is from Abraham to Moses, okay. because then there's not a written law. There's just the promise that I will make you a great nation if you follow me. Okay. The dispensation of the law, which was from Moses to Jesus. The dispensation of grace, which is what we hear a lot about, which is, you know, believe in me and you'll be saved. This is grace as shown by Jesus, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, okay. And then to... Um, and then a big mil- question mark, right. we don't know. <laughs> Millennialists is the dispensation of the millennium, which they add to it, which is not accepted by all... Parts of the church. Got it. Okay. So the that's why those two terms are put together. They're premillennialist and they're dispensationalist. Okay. Is, they believe. So that they take all of those to be true, and also this right, millennial this other thing, and that's um, okay. And that's when it comes together with this idea that right. there's a very strict guy, uh, timeline of things that's going to happen, and then we'll be in a new millennium where Satan's locked up and people again. It just it, I, I'm baffled uh, on a number of levels. So so Patty. It doesn't doesn't get raptured, Mm-mm. and 
she's trying very hard not to take the mark of the beast. She mm-hmm. doesn't want to take the mark of the beast, and she realizes that she's wrong. So she makes it to the end of the seventh period, seven, well, seven, sure seven years of the middle, or whatever. Right. Then is she good? Has she? Then does she get saved? Because no, because like I you told said, you, she's the one on the guillotine who. Winds no, no, up. no. But what you said was. Uh-huh. I'm going back to Revelations twenty one one to six, which is what you read mm-hmm. earlier. I also saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for their testimony to Jesus and for the word of God. They had not worshipped the beast or his image and had not received its mark on their foreheads or hands. They came to life and reigned with Christ a thousand years. Mm. So she can hold out, even if she's guillotined, I think, Mm -hmm. then she gets to Christ. But if she gets the mark of the beast, whether it's because it's easy or because she really believes it, Mm -hmm. because that's the other thing. In this movie, the mark of the beast is not... I'm signing on to Satan. It's just, it's quote unquote, following the, the rules. The subtext of it is I'm signing on to Satan. Yeah, that, um, but it's all subtext because even when she says that's the mark of the beast, they're like, no, it isn't. Yeah. The idea so, is that they're not aware of it, that they're sort of following along after, and that somebody. Right, but once again, it's it's uh-huh. a it's a passive acceptance of a thing. Like you have to actively accept Christ. Mm-hmm. And or not passively accept anything else. Right. You don't have to actively accept the bad thing. You just have to not actively. It just. So let me ask you a question because this is obviously very disturbing to you. It's deeply upsetting to me. Yeah, and this is. (laughs) Like it's. Seriously, this is like the most fractured conversation we have because it seems to outrage you. I'm. Mad. Okay. I am offended and mad. Yes, that is All what's right. happening. Okay, so and I'm trying to uh, not be like I. I don't want to belittle uh-huh. beliefs that people genuine gen, genuinely have. Right. But I'm watching this movie and I'm like, like legitimately how. Do people believe it makes no sense? Mm-hmm. How do people believe this? It makes sense if you believe that this is the interpretation of the scripture. But now the thing I can is, read the scripture. The as we noticed with the Jack Chick, the, the strip, the the uh, comic strips yes. and stuff, they're very anti-Catholic. And so their interpretation. That's another thing: is this right. infighting between their interpretation of the evils of Rome for the book of Revelations is it represents the Catholic Church. Oh, wow, that's interesting. Yet, they are equally willing to, on nothing whatsoever, accept what someone tells them. That's the thing. About what the Bible is saying about this. And again, it is a weird interpretation of the Scripture. I guess that's my fundamental problem. I can read the book as it's written. At the book as it's written does not say any of these things that you're trying to get me to mm-hmm. believe. If there was a prophet or church leader who I felt I could believe in mm-hmm. who drew these lines for me, right. I might be able to go along with it, but that's not the case either. It's just some dude telling well, me right. this is the way that it is. Well, who are you, dude? Like, I don't I don't accept your authority right. to outweigh my ability to read and understand the text as Remember it has what been we given. In the very beginning about Christianity and the way that it's used by the high church and how often it gets misused by the low church. We talked about how in the high church in particular, uh, they actually make reason one of the tenets of the faith. You have to sit here yes, and, and try to understand what it means. For that. Because as we discussed earlier and many times, Jesus didn't say a thing about abortion. He didn't say a thing about homosexuality. He didn't say a thing about the issues that we're confronting today. But what he did leave us is a body of literature, a very short one compared to other religious books, right. about his thoughts and ideas. So if you believe, as I do, that the message is divinely inspired and that Jesus is who he says he was, or if you believe, as you do, that Jesus was just a really great guy, right? Um, or maybe a different kind of divinely inspired. The idea is you have to use your reason to extrapolate 
what he said right. and how it applies to a given situation. Yes. So the idea then becomes, does this make sense in the context of the Jesus of the Gospels, who's constantly presenting himself as love right. and presenting God's love to the human race? Right. Would he turn his back on people and allow them to die horribly? That that does not track for me. Right. And that is where I get upset. Right. And so... Where I'm like, you can't... Mm-hmm. You can't sell me this this picture of Jesus Christ and then turn around and be like, Jesus would be like, girl, mm-hmm. they all deserve to burn in hell forever. I don't believe that. And again, at I the don't time, believe that. these were Christians. <laughs> we can talk about the book of Revelations another time because there's a lot to discuss there and about how it gets weirdly misused. Um, I mentioned earlier about how getting something tattooed, you know, the... the uh, Mark of the, of the beast is actually a reflection of an earlier ritual that's in Judaism. And so it's like, well, that would make sense to people who understood it. It doesn't make any sense now, right? But there's other things about the book of Revelation that we seem to think mean one thing and actually mean another. Um, the number itself, 666, refers to Nero. Right. It's not a sacred evil number. It's not, no, it, or a blasphemous evil number, the way it's been taken uh, to, to mean nowadays. It, there's a lot there that meant something that would be easily recognized to people at the time. And now we're sort of just fitting it in anywhere. And why are... And it is governmental. I mean, it is, excuse me, nationalist. It is. Why on earth do we... I mean, Hal Lindsey's idea was that this... Um, For no... It just doesn't... Make, that America was the center of biblical prophecy now. We're the important ones. That the European Union is a dangerous idea because it unites the world. The United right. Nations is a dangerous idea. I remember going to a, a revival meeting where a minister preached against the idea of a UN. Oh, I get that because of the and because right. that's basically what takes over the world right. in this thing exactly. is and forces secular UN. rules right. on. But we should have secular rules to guide a variety of people as long as it respects their religious beliefs. Right. I don't need... But they want right. to do this fascist Christian thing. Well, they want to do... Well, they don't even, because they want right. this... Fa- like, that's what I don't... Uh, that's the other thing, is mm-hmm. to preach against the UN is a little bit wild if you want the end times to come. Right. Right? Like... It seems so, yes. You'd think you'd be like, no, UN, let's get up in here. Let's let's do this... Sac- I mean, this it, uh, also, the, the idea that people believe that they're ha- helping biblical prophecy along is if it needs help. Uh, that's ridiculous, too. Like, why would you want this? This is going to mean the death of millions of people. This is going to be the end of the world. And you're trying to hasten it along. It doesn't make any sense. Why would you do that to people? Why would you do that to your own children's generation? So it's it it's very inconsistent. What we do know about Jesus is that he taught about a kingdom coming, but he wasn't talking about a government. He wasn't talking about taking things over. I by just presumed force. it was if you do good, then you get to go to heaven forever, and that's the mm-hmm. kingdom. Yeah, you know, and the power and the glory, or whatever. <laughs> and also establishing goes. the church, which was the ability to help other people here. On right. Earth. And that seems to be what's missing from this. You know, the element that's most conspicuously absent from the rapture theology is the ability to have compassion and help other people. Because in that, in this construct, even God turns his back on people. Yeah. Which just does and not that's, make any sense. And that's the other thing that, like, as, as even as off-tune and, and bad as the song was, mm-hmm. it also really felt like, na-na-na-na-na-na, you're going to burn in hell. <laughs> and I'm like, wow, that seems not very fucking right. Christian of you <laughs> to, to, it, to be singing this song to me right now. I think that even if there was such a thing, because I could be entirely wrong and maybe somebody else has a correct interpretation of what the scripture is saying, my attitude would be that it would be like death, right? You can't get through your entire life thinking about how you're going to die. It's going to end someday. Your life will end someday. Yes. The important part is not how you died as much as how you lived and what you did with the life that you were given. So if you're sitting, if you're reading an entire book worried about the ending, then you're not going to enjoy the book. If you're living your life worried about what's going to happen in the final chapter, then you're focusing on that and not what you can do. Because the mission of the church is always the mission of Christians is supposed to be to help other people. Right. 
Faith without works is dead. And if you're sitting there trying to preserve yourself or the act of getting people saved is all that you mean by it, and yet these same people are abused by the world and you do nothing to stop it, right. then you failed in your mission. But I also just feel like people saying that they accept Jesus and are Christian now because they're scared, mm -hmm. that's not going to work. Right. Like, I feel like... Well, there's... Um... <laughs> truly accepting Jesus into your heart and being, you know, terrified into it because you're afraid that everyone's going to leave you behind. Those are different things. Yeah. And you can't get to the first by way of the second. Sincerity and the actual uh, need to realize that you've done something wrong and you want to change your life. Not, oh, I guess I will if it means I don't have to stay behind and have my forehead tattooed. Right. Yes, right. Yeah. That's the thing, is why is it better to be, you know, terrified into submission than being, like, than accept... I, I, it just doesn't make sense. It just doesn't make sense. I know, and you're very upset about it. But I think it's something that is going to be important for you to understand as we go forward what this mind... When you look at people, political leaders, particularly in this administration... Just, who really are seem to be literally hell bent for the rest of the world. You you want to understand what on earth brings about the conviction that they can make these sweeping changes and there'll be no consequences. It's because they don't see themselves surviving the consequences of this. They yeah, see no, themselves that's, that's as definitely something's right. going to happen and they will no longer be a part of this system. Well, here's a sad right. and sobering fact. That same mindset can be set to anyone over the age of 50 right now making policies that don't take into effect climate yes. change because they're going to be dead by the time the climate crisis and, and happens because it's happening in 30 years and they're going to be dead. I by have then. to admit that this theology have been raised in it, having been raised in it, it still affects me. I remember sitting in a cafe in Berkeley and there was uh, some work by a particular artist that I found really profoundly disturbing. So much so that I eventually got up and left the cafe because it was pictures of images from the book of Revelation that were done literally. And mm -hmm. I, on some subconscious level, I recognized what it was and then later on went back and discovered, oh yeah, that's really what he's referencing. And it did, even reading the book as a kid, outside of seeing a film like this, it did inspire that same kind of terror, but that has nothing to do with the faith itself. This has to do with a fear of self-preservation. Which should be separate from your faith right. in all, in all Absolutely. matters. It should not be about your, your fear of dying or your fear of hell. It should be about your devotion and who loves you and who you have to, or you're compelled to love to show that same kind of love outward towards other people. Yes. That, yes, that is what faith is. Not, yes. if I don't say this certain thing or believe this certain thing, then I'm definitely going to go to hell, and I don't want to go to hell, so I'm going to do well, those things. Dickens, uh, Bleak House, that yes. scene where the, the little boy, the street urchin who is dying, and this doctor is trying to compel him to recite the Lord's Prayer, and he's saying the lines as the life is snuffed out of him, and then he stops short just before he's able to finish it, and there's this hanging anxiety that he's now going to go to hell because he didn't finish the prayer and after a life of misery hey, and living on the street. if that's the God that we're living under, right. forget it. And it just seemed forget like... Forget it. I, there's nothing I can do. It seemed like, wow, what a horrible, horrible like manipulation of the audience thinking, God, you know, that poor child's now going to burn in hell because... Again, I refuse to believe that. Right. This that's is, the thing. I give it a choice to believe God, things. Right. I, we, I refuse to believe that a sick child who was legitimately doing his very best mm -hmm. is going to burn in hell. I, right. I No, burning in hell is saved for a very specific few. <laughs> and maybe not even them. <laughs> that I don't know. Also... I, I think I, it's, it's, it's a necessary uh, stick. I don't know. I, I don't know that I... Yeah, well, I don't, we can I don't think I can get time. there. So I guess that brings us to the end of this week's episode. If you like it, please subscribe. Uh, write us a review, share it with a friend. 
We have an internet home without workspodcast.com. Our show notes, links to stories we talk about, and transcripts for our episodes can be found there. A note on the transcripts. I am working on them, I <laughs> promise. Uh, we are also reachable at withoutworkspod at gmail.com, on Twitter at withoutworkspod, and on Facebook at withoutworkspodcast. All that information is also on the website in easy clickable links, so go ahead over there and look around. I've been Amity, he's been Lemuel, and we urge you to get out there and do something good. Everybody's got a little light under the sun, under the sun, under the sun.